Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to Chapter 39 of the Corona Diaries. 30 bloody nine. That yes. means it's 40 next week. Well, we're nothing if not tenacious, Anthony. That's... We, that's it, it. we just... Frequent is what we are. Regular. We're, we're tenacious, buggers. Tenacious and regular. Mm. Well, I'm regular. I don't know about you. Tenacious and regular sounds <laughs> like... That's, that sounds like something, doesn't it? Door-to-door salesman. <laughs> Comedy duo from the 70s. I've just noticed you've got a new set of cans on. Have I? Yeah. Oh, that, I can take them off if no, it'll no, help. It's, no, it's fine. I've just noticed they are it. A bit, they're a bit boxy in appearance, aren't they? They but, are a little, yes. You've, you've got a, you've got a, um, you've got a look of a, a, of a kind of a Star Wars droid about you. <laughs> a long-haired, tooth-missing Star Wars droid. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, a Star Wars droid, having had a bit of trouble out there in the in the universe. <laughs> it's been a bad day on yeah. Alpha Centauri. <laughs> I think, yes, I think we been, might call the episode that. There's been an accident. Right, oh. okay, well, you no, know, they're Denons. They're Denons. Oh. We wear these in, uh, in the studio. Oh, um, right. Mark Kelly got onto these, I think, at some point and uh, started wearing them. And then, um, and then in in those days, I was on some of those Sony MVR. Stop me if you fall asleep. But uh, I was on some or MVDs or whatever they are. Anyway, I was on Sony's, and I tried tried his one day, and it was like uh, you know, it's like opening the windows. It was or opening the curtains. All was light and clarity, and I thought, oh, great, them. So, I, I, so I've got a couple of pairs of these. I don't know how easy they are to get hold of, but they're fantastic. Now, did you get those from um, Miles? No, I, I bought them somewhere on online, somewhere. No, but, uh, but because Miles was working for Denon, hmm. um, and I think he left just before I got onto these headphones, which is a shame. Do we know if Miles is listening? Actually, I think Miles does listen from time right. to time. The, uh, Mor- the morning, lovely, Miles. The lovely Miles Brook. Good morning, Miles. If you're listening, if you're not listening, well, you utter bastard. Why aren't you listening? <laughs> I must explain. Miles is a mutual friend, somebody that I got to know uh, through the my years in the music industry, and Steve got to know independently, and then we both worked <laughs> out we both knew, knew Miles because he lives he lives near you, doesn't he? He's, he's Phil- not far away, is he? <laughs> Phil Brown refers to him Hang on. As, as your business partner uh, because um, Miles and I once bought half a PA each um, 
because we, he'd, he'd seen a, a JBL, you know, the, like those sort of powered monitors. Yeah. And he'd, he'd, I think someone was selling them cheap, probably one of his, his own um, connections in the retail music business. And uh, he said, oh, he said, I can't afford it, but can you buy one and I'll buy one? So we both bought one. And, uh, you know, he uses it for sort of village fates and, right. and, uh, and kids' discos. And he's got it, but I own half of it. Right. Um, and on one occasion we did this show in uh, Oxford in the church and Miles had got this thing um, which he was flogging at the time, um, which was an iPad-controlled box um for mixing or something and uh the two of us persuaded phil to use it and it was an utter nightmare and uh he he hasn't shut up about it since because it was difficult and i think it involved um wi-fi or something and uh, the wi-fi kept dropping out during the gig and he kept losing all control of it and he was uh, he wasn't best pleased, and so now he whenever whenever Miles comes into the com- conversation, Phil looks at me and goes, "Your business partner," <laughs> and gives me the dead eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I? You must have used it as well in Liverpool. It must have been around the Christmas time because he, I remember an hour being told about that. Phil uh, didn't draw breath for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> as he uh, as he told me everything that was wrong with it, and I, I think I'd only said, "Hi, Phil. How are you?" Yeah, he's never a man to moan, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I do remember that. I didn't realise that Miles was behind that. Oh, right, okay. Oh, that, that's that, I've joined some dots there. Then um, bless him. So, so you did actually share this thing then? The both of you didn't appear in mono. You did actually share this PA. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got it. I haven't seen right. it since I bought half of it, to be honest. Right. But he's got it, so it's in his garage. I have occasionally borrowed it, and I can't remember why. Why have I borrowed it? I might have borrowed it for shows, actually. For right. for, uh, I think I might have hauled it up to Oxford one day when, because I used to use that Bose PA. Mm, you did because there was a lovely bloke at Bose called Andy, and he used to just let me have it for nothing. Which was very kind. Uh, I used to offer to pay him all the time and he used to go, oh, no, don't worry about it. Um, and then on one particular Christmas, I don't know, he'd probably had a good talking to by the boss for lending stuff out for free and uh, I couldn't borrow it. So then I borrowed my business partner's half of my PA and we did that. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm going to check and we check Miles's eBay feed now and just see if you still actually do own half a PA or whether he got rid of it at the beginning of lockdown. We've managed to get a full 10 minutes out of the mere mention of Miles. Yeah, we? we have actually. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Miles. He's like, I hope you're well, Miles. I haven't, I haven't spoken to you for a while. I hope you're well. Perhaps uh, we never will run out of things to talk about. 
No, I don't. I don't think we will. Well, I, I follow. Well, I don't know if I follow Miles or Miles follows me on. Stra- well, we follow each other on Strava because he cycles. I think, and oh uh, and he, his face just pops up every once in a while when he'll be he'll be giving you kudos for doing a piece of activity. So yeah, oh. so that's that's my interaction with Miles now. Tends to be on Strava. Bizarrely, oh. it's amazing oh. how these things work out. We get a lot of those in the village in the old lycra going by. I knock a few off now and again in my mini. I bet you, I bet you shoot them for the window, don't you? You got an air pistol, just, just take a few out from the window. They're very easy to see. Well, yeah, it, is. it literally must be the simple. What a target that must be. As you get a better shot, you'll go for the thinner ones, won't you? Irresistible. Yeah. Anyway, we said we'd try and be a bit more light-hearted this week. What, have we? It's this. This is fairly light-hearted. Well, actually, it's definitely better. On, well, it's not know. better. I thought the last two shows it's were great, but they were a little bit darker in tone, weren't they? Right, we're light-heartedly talking about shooting cyclists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think certain cyclists in Lycra deserve what they get. If I'm being honest, um, we should you know. leave it. We should leave it there, Anthony. The public yeah. could be offended. Yeah, it was only an air rifle. It's not going to do that much harm, is it? Exactly. Yeah, paint gun. That would be fun. Oh, actually. <laughs> now, now, actually, I'm now thinking of something now because we get, we get our cyclists round here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the paint would really show up on that, that fluorescent yellow. It pink, would. Do you want to go, go halves on a paint gun? <laughs> <laughs> Half a paint gun. <laughs> He's better than all or nothing. I know. I knew. I knew you were going to go to old Tommy Steele there. I just knew you were going to do that. Uh, anyway, anyway, mm. chapter thirty-eight. We said we'd talk about. We were talking about this last night at the family quiz, weren't we? And we said we would talk about how we live today. Mm. Um, because I think we did a couple of episodes on the Europeans. We flipped in and out of that story a couple of times, and we kind of ended with the um, with the band kind of going the separate ways. And you'd been a- approached about a uh, a solo record, hadn't you? A solo you, gig, yeah, a, a, a solo deal by a guy called Peter Carpin, who was famous for having signed Men at Work. Um, in fact, he even played me the demo for I Come From A Land Down Under. Um, and uh, the um, the master was better. Right. But he did play me the demo. And, um, yeah, he signed us up. Well, he signed... The, the initial talk was about signing me up and, and um, I asked Colin if he'd come aboard, and, you know... Um, I, I mean, I've related this before, the, the mm. two puffs and a synthesizer... Um, part of you know, era of 80s music um and so um we became two puffs without a synthesizer probably and and um we were signed under the name jump the gun did i right. tell you that you didn't we, i don't think you told me that we were jump the gun and at some point after we'd been signed up i woke up in a cold sweat and decided i hated the name um and uh, much to the dismay of, uh, of of Portrait Records, because I think they quite liked the name, and I changed the name to How We Live, which they hated. Um, and the rest is history. <laughs> so why didn't you like Jump the Gun? I don't know. I just thought it. I just thought it sounded inconsequential. 
um, even though when I'd thought of it, I thought it had great consequence. <laughs> and and uh, then I woke up and decided it didn't. And then I thought How We Live was a good name, uh, but nobody else liked it apart from me. Um, and I think it is sort of, I think How We Live is thought-provoking because it makes you think about how we live mm. and whether that's a good thing or, or a foolish thing or or not. It might have been a little ahead of its time, you know. Yeah, that, that you know, yeah. Yes, I, I like to feel I'm someone who people catch up with. Not physically, obviously. I'm usually no. trailing behind by a couple of miles physically, <laughs> but... but <laughs> Perhaps in other ways, I'm ahead. Who knows? I've now got pictures of you running around the countryside, literally 500 yards behind the nearest person. I don't know I, why I, I've got you. Well, well I, that's true. I go for walks with Lynetta and the dog, and the two of them can, you'd be amazed the speed they can work up, the two of them. And I can't. Her legs are much longer than mine. So she can work, she can travel across ground at, at a much greater velocity than I can for the same movement of the legs. Right. Um, me having stumpy legs, I have to go faster, you know, um, and, 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 and so I'm always trailing behind her going, look, I'm not going to come on walks with you if you don't, if you don't wait for me. Right. <laughs> And you've not put two and two together yet, then? <laughs> it was the same with my mother. Yeah, perhaps there is a... There is a perhaps it's an underlying reason. <laughs> she's not complained <laughs> once, has she? Since we started TCD, she's not complained once about the amount of time you spend on your own in the room talking to yourself. No, well, she's grateful for, yeah. for the, uh, you know, for the, for, for the peace... Anyway, back to um, back to back to band names. Mm, how so, we live? So, so you pissed off the record label in the first few weeks. Yeah, God, Paul Russell, bloody hell! There was a guy called Paul Russell, and he used to be the um, managing director of CBS. And uh, there was a—I mean, I don't know that this is an absolute stone cold fact, or whether there's an element of fake news about it. But it's never I w- ever troubled us. In I, the past. No, never knowingly accurate. Uh, I was told we, we did this. How we lived at this gig in um, in down the mall in the what's that called? The ICA, the in 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 ICA something art college of art contemporary. Could institute of contemporary art. I think you've nailed it there, Ant. Right. Uh, we did a gig there, and. Um, I think Muff Winwood, um, Steve Winwood's brother, who was also the, the head of the A&R department at CBS at the time um, and widely thought to be a man who knows because he signed up a lot of very big acts. Um, now, what I would say in reply to to these famous A&R men is that if you end up being the head of A&R at CBS or EMI, or Sony, or Warners, or whoever, then all, all the all the most talented artists in the country are going to be beating a path to your door. And so, 
having a few success stories on your hands is is pretty bloody un, unremarkable, in my mm. opinion. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to, you know, you, you have to just let them in because <laughs> they're all kicking your door down. Um, so being able to spot, you know, great talent from no talent at all is not a talent, in my opinion. But there we are. Uh, so they get paid a fortune, these blokes. And, you know, to say, well, put a bit more reverb on the snare. I think that was Moff's contribution to uh, Howie Lib's career. Um, and, um, well, it was anyway, the 80s. It was fair. the 80s, yeah. And that was, that. you know, it, it's, it, yeah, it, it sounds like I'm putting the guy down, but, but that could make the difference back mm. then because record had to have a certain sound. You know, the snare drums on the, all those 80s records <laughs> like four times as loud as anything <laughs> and go bap, 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 bap all the way through for three minutes. Um, and um, where was I? So he came to the ICA with the managing director of this guy called Paul Russell. And Paul Russell's background was accounts, I think, or mm. law or something. Um, and it was the beginning of the end where where major labels had started to be controlled by lawyers and accountants instead of people who knew a damn thing about music, music. or art. And uh, they'd brought him in. And uh, that's fine if they sit behind a desk and never do anything except look at contracts and add numbers up. But when they start thinking, well, I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to go and get involved and give these artists the benefit of my expertise, then that's really more to do with their ego than than their knowledge or their talent. Mm. And he did. And and he, he came with Muff, apparently. And I, I'm reliably informed by someone who was in the crowd that during our set he said, well, the singer can't sing, the band can't play, and the songs aren't any good. And and we got dropped very shortly after that. Um, and that was um, that was Mr. Russell's view of how we live. And, uh, you know, we I, I don't think we were having the best night of our lives, but... It still seemed a bit harsh. I can sing a bit. Mm. And uh, I did have a seriously shit hot band. I think Manny Elias from Tears for Fears was on drums at the time. And... Uh, Dave Ball, my bass player, was one of the the most amazing technicians mm. I've, I've ever worked with. So this guy clearly didn't know his ass from his elbow, and, and was and yet had decided that you know he would decide who got hired and fired, mm. um, which is as I say is fine if you if you hire and fire in the the accountants. But you should leave the musicians alone and let people who know get oh, on with yeah. it. Oh. So, re- reel back a bit. Reel so, back. Reel Sorry. back. So you've I'm changed not the better. name. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I'm thinking it, it might it might well come out a couple more times yet. So it, no, no, it won't. It's never, it's never good to hear people moaning about because because no one else can relate to it anyway. So you just go, oh, he's sounding a bitter old twat, doesn't he? And, and who cares anyway? Nobody cares. Um, and why should they? But yes, reeling back, how we live. Um, so we got signed. We got we got signed up by Peter Carpin, and had you got um, any songs at that point? Because they'd, yeah. appro- they'd, they'd approach you, but but what had been happening in the background? Because 
We'd know, already written Dry Land. And, yes. And I think it was Dry Land that Peter heard. We might have... There might have been another couple of the songs on the album that um, that, that were on the demo. Maybe uh, Beating the Heart of the City... And probably all the time in the world. That was probably the reason we got signed because that was a sort of pretty straight ahead number and I think Peter thought that was a hit. Um, I think there was a feeling that, that Dry Land wasn't an obvious hit but could be a classic. Mm. Um, and we got signed up on the grounds of that and I've got a feeling we wrote games in Germany during the album. Uh, that came together later, and the way we, re- we we recorded games in Germany without the drums, which was weird. Um, David Lord, the producer, said, "Well, maybe we can put the drums on last because uh, I think he'd done that with with a, a, a Peter Gabriel track, um, and it worked out quite well." So we program. I programmed a little tick box going to. Mm. For um, games in Germany, when we we built up the whole track around a, a rhythm box, and then at the you know eleventh hour, Manny came in and just put four four times straight through the whole lot. I'd got like a little shuffle against it, mm. and Manny came in and just stuck straight four four through it, and it just sounded amazing from the moment he did it. Um, really transformative. And uh, Manny's Manny's selling hot chili sauce now. Yes, yeah, we've had we did have that conversation. Yeah, he is selling is, chili sauce, which mm. is mad. Um, and um, yeah, Manny and I used used to meet up socially. We had we had a lot of fun together. He's a very very nice man. He was the one who told me about the mini parties and mini bar parties, mini bar and, parties. The, and the VV Manly, um, <laughs> Victor Vivian Manly pseudonym that he used for getting to hotels. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I was saying to you last night, my, my my first sort of memories of that How We Live album are are, are, are the, that space shuttle bursting into flames because that happened mm. one night while we were in the studio. You know, we watched it. We watched the... Was it the Challenger? Challenger. Was that the one? Yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, it just burst into flames, that tragedy. So that, you know, you, it's one of the, that's one of those moments where you know where you were yeah. when you saw it. And, and, and we were in, in Crescent Studios in Bath making the, uh, the How We Live album. And the other thing, of course, was the, the radio broadcast from the, the Bristol Police um, appealing to the public. Having found this girl on the on the on the bridge, uh, on the suspension bridge, the seven bridge, uh, who wouldn't speak to them, um, so they'd put out this appeal to try and find out who she was, or you know if her parents could come and collect her. I'm, I'm scribbling that down and thinking that's an amazing opening. Whatever happens to this girl, it's an amazing mm. opening page for a, a story, mm. and you know and and never doing anything with it until, you know, 10 or 12 years later um, with Marillion when, when when we started wrapping it wrapping it all into Brave. So were you in the studio when you heard that as well? 
Yeah, well, I, yeah. it was because actually on on it, the radio because it'd be in, close in enough, wouldn't it? It would be geographically close enough to pick that up as kind of local. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Bath and Bristol are practically you know they're a spit apart, yeah. and so it might have been it might even have been GWR, it might have been Great Western Radio, which yeah. covers that whole area that I heard it. And it was it just came out the radio on the on the desk of the secretary in the uh, studio, hmm. and I remember just cocking an ear to it, thinking, "Whoa, I wonder, goodness, I wonder what the story is there." So they were the they were the two really, really enduring memories, apart from the lovely Jan, who was the. Um, in, who was in control of the door at the at the Moles Club in Bath, and we used to record every day until about you know usually usually getting on for midnight before you know it was in the old days when when I used to do <laughs> proper work proper hours, uh, and we used to start about you know eleven or twelve in the morning and 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 we would work through till about midnight, and then we'd knock it on the head. And I think at that point, Colin and I were were holed up in some digs across town. In fact, I think that was another theatrical story because Honor Blackman um, was also in the same digs. Um, I never saw her though, but we kept thinking, "Oh, Honor Blackman!" You know, wasn't she was in Doctor No? I think wasn't she? Goldfinger, Bond, Bond, Goldfinger, Bond girl, bloody Nora. We're above a Bond girl, Coles. Um, anyway, that could, that could be a title for the episode as well. Actually, <laughs> it's another T-shirt. Um, anyway, um, we used to finish about midnight, and of course, the last thing you wanted to do was just go go back to the digs mm. and go to bed. So the only option was the Moles Club, which is a little club. I think it may still be open. I could be wrong. I think it's still there. Um, and there's a there's a little little club called the Moles Club, and he so he used to walk around there, and Jan used to let me in for nothing, oh. which bless her cotton socks, oh. uh, be, because you know we you'd just go to the bar and have a have a a, a pint or a half or whatever, mm. and then you'd go, you know, you'd so I wasn't really there for a night of of clubbing, and we weren't going to be there long. And she knew that we were musos and we were working over the, over ten, over, across town at Crescent. And I think she, you know, because we could, you know, Bath's quite a small place, and it was in those days it was full of musicians. Tears for Fears lived there. Peter Gabriel lived there. I think Hugh Cornwell might even have lived there. I think Van Van Morrison was either there at that time or lived there a bit later. Mm-hmm. So there was an awful lot of musicians. Uh, the Corgis were there. So, yeah, a lot of stranglers. Um, Jet Black, the stranglers drummer, I think he lived in Bath. So it really was a nest of musos. And well, the other thing is future publishing are in Bath. They are, yeah. So all those magazines, uh, all those... You know, guitarist and all those and all that. Cla- yeah, well, that's all down there. Yeah, I don't know if it was down there back then in the 80s right. or whether it moved down there. But, um, yeah, it was a nest of, of musicians. And mm. so Jan used to let me in uh, and I'd have, you know, I'd have a, a, a pint or whatever or a half at the uh, at the bar and then and, and then wander off. Mm. And, you know, me and Colin would have a half. 
And is that the Moles Club where... Because there were some uh, Holidays and Eden demo tracks that I seem to have the Moles Club attached to them. Yes, that's true. That They have their own studio above uh, upstairs and we recorded some stuff in the Moles studio. We actually did a gig at the Moles Club. We did a warm-up gig for Holidays in Eden where we played uh, the, the original, original, original version of uh, Splinter and Heart. Heart before Chris Neal got his hands on it mm. and, you know, turned it into what it became, which is a good thing in my opinion. Uh, the old one was a bit more uh, around a big, big nasty guitar loop thing that went round, and we we played, we played there. We did a warm up gig there. Mm. Nobody could get in because we brought so much equipment. There was no room for people. Our all mixing this, desk, all this equipment, fifty percent of it working. <laughs> Our mixing desk was bigger than the fucking gig. <laughs> I think it's sticking out the door. Um, so we 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 played there in the sort of seven people who could actually get in. Um, so it happened, and that was that was a gas. I don't think anyone ever put more gear. Even Peter Gabriel probably never put more gear in the Moles Club than we did. I quite like that version of Splintering Heart. Yeah, well, it's got something. Uh, uh, I, I like that. I like that guitar part. I just don't know when the rest of the song comes in. I don't know if it really, truly, really fits the rest of the song. If that makes sense, it's, right? It's got a looser feel to it, and when the drums come in, it doesn't quite feel like it really. But you know, but I like the part itself. I really like. Uh, well, it was just that was the that was how it started life, and it, it was I'm with you. I prefer the I prefer the final version. Oh, God, yeah. Mm. It would have been an awful waste of time if it, if it hadn't been better. Mm. We did spend a lot of time on it. No, it's fantastic. fantastic. So, right, so you're recording, you're in Bath, you're recording, yeah. you nip into the moulds for a half. Yeah, the, the challenges exploding. Challenges exploding. Uh, you're hearing bits of radio that come and, and halt later on. The bit I'm kind of wanting to get back to is, is is the A, the band itself. How did that band that ended up in the studio come together? Because I always think about how we live as just the two of you. But clearly, obviously, you needed to put people together to make it happen, and I guess to tour as well. Um, mm. And then the other bit I don't quite fathom is... You've got these demos, so you've got Dryland and you've got a couple of other things. Were they meant to be Europeans tracks? Had Europeans just gone at that point? Was it just you and Cole just working on stuff? How did that bit of it go together? Were the two things going on at the same time or had, had, had Europeans amongst you, had you pretty much kind of worked out it had, it had run its time? Um, yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, it, it Dryland, I think... Was the one that that um, Colin and I were working on at the very death of the Euros before the Euros split up. Um, but I don't think anyone ever played on it apart from the two of us, or or contributed to even even its earliest incarnations. Um, Jeff, the drummer, and Ferg, the bass player. Um, I don't think they got involved in that, or it wasn't really their thing. Um, and we had a we we had a, a manager called Mark Thompson, and um, he'd come and said, you know, I can't get a deal for the band anywhere, and God knows I've tried. Yeah. And, we, and we'd done um, 
what do you call them, showcases. Mm. We'd done showcases where various interested record labels had slid in and out and then passed on us. Um, And then Portrait came forward looking to sign me. And, And at that point, I think Colin and I had been working on dry land and we're, I was really fired up about it as a, as a tune. Um, and I think there was just that one. Mm. And so after we then properly split up, then we, we, you know, we used to get together and try and write right. other stuff. I think we did kind of get that far. You, now you've saying it, I think we did kind of get that far, but I... I, I I'd forgotten how far we'd got, so I think we did get to that stage. I remember you mentioning struggling with the deal and mentioning Mark because that's funky junk, Mark, isn't it? That's uh, right. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm, I'm to there now. So you've got Dryland. You're working on some other stuff, and I guess you must have said to the record company, you know, it, 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 there's two of us, not not just me. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I said to Mark. Can you talk to them and see if... I mean, this is the way I remember it. I mean, I wouldn't stand up in a murder trial and say that this is exactly what happened, but the way I remember it was that I spoke to Mark about about it being Colin and I, um, and he proposed that to 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 Portrait, and they came back and said, said yeah, great, um, because we were writing together. Yeah. You know, we, we felt like we were the, the songwriting partnership um behind that and then we we advertised and um auditioned players mm. and we ha- we found this great bass mad welsh bass player called dave ball who, who who was we referred to as tafe because uh, he was that was a he said call me tafe um <laughs> and he was from Barry Island, and so he used to say all those things that they say on um, Gavin, Gavin and, and Stacey. Stacey. He used to say tidy, and all, all, all of those. <laughs> I won't lie to you; he'd say all the time. Um, <laughs> that was the first time I heard the Barry Island um, expressions, um, and he was very funny. And we had various drummers. We had a really good, oh, God, I'm not so good. With my, my head's a bit fuzzy with the names. But the first drummer we had, he was great, really good, really sensitive. But he didn't look good. He, he, he sort of looked a bit like, I don't know. <laughs> he just looked like an old fella in a flat hat. Um, and I was, Dicky Bird. I, was, I was so image conscious that, that um, I was never really comfortable, even though he was a great player, which is stupid of me, really, because um, you know he was he was the right player for the band, definitely. Um, and then I auditioned lots of other drummers, including Gavin Harrison um, from Porcupine Tree. He he went past at one point. He came in, and I remember thinking, "God, he's really good, isn't he?" Um, He's really good, but he's just not quite, you know, he isn't as touchy-feely soulful as I'm really, really after. Mm. Um, and I don't think Gavin's ever 
you know, whenever I meet him, he kind of goes, yes, I'm that drummer you rejected, aren't I? You remember me? And I'm, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't that you weren't good, Gavin. You know, I mean, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Um, but he wasn't right for how we live. Um, and who who did we end up with? I ended up with Aaron Amun, um, who was a mate of Tafe's. And he suggested, oh, what about Aaron? He's <laughs> And he was a black guy with a gold tooth. Um, and I said, where are you from? And he swore that he was Chinese, but he didn't look Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> or half Chinese. I won't lie to you, I'm half Chinese. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he was drumming with Julia Fordham and I think he drummed with uh, John Martin. In fact, both... Both Aaron and Tafe became John Martin's rhythm section at one point, so they were serious players, as, as Paul Russell noted. I said, I, yeah. I, I, "Sorry, I, I, I did I mention him again?" Um, so Only they briefly. Were, <laughs> serious, serious uh, jazzers, and um, uh, who? Yeah, and then Manny, Manny drummed on uh, for us on a tour as well. I had. Um, I got a, I got a second keyboard player called Raina Shine, real name. She was called Raina Shine. She was christened Raina by her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Shine. Sound <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Sheen. Um and um she she was amazing. Um she was a really good keyboard player and she'd been Van Gallis's studio wow. engineer. And she'd edited together, bling, bling, gang, 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 bling, gang, 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 gang. The way the way he wrote that, according to her, was uh, he said, "Oh, I've got to, I've got to do this, um, I've got to do this film soundtrack for this movie called Chariots of Fire. Uh, I'm just going to stay up late tonight and play the piano. When you get in in the morning, can you have a listen to it? And if there's anything half decent, can you just edit something up?" <laughs> So uh, she got in in the morning to all this all this piano twiddling and she edited um, Chariots of Fire together and she said, I can't listen to it because I can still hear the edits because um, she knows where they all were. And um, so she became my, my keyboard player and uh, tragically died last year. She had um, a heart condition that nobody knew she had. And I did a show with Trevor Horn um, in Nottingham last year and she came to it with her daughter. And we were hanging backstage afterwards with Lola Cream. I've got a picture of, of, of the three of us. And um, then I, I, I found out um, in, in, in 2020 that she'd suddenly passed away from a, a heart problem that no one ever knew she had, including her. I, I mean, I think she'd literally just fallen over. Mm. So that was awful. Um, who else was in my band? That that was it, really. It was Colin on guitar, Tafe on bass, me singing and playing some keyboards, Raina playing some keyboards. And um, I think I'm trying to remember who was in the band during the fateful dope-eating experience at Edinburgh Playhouse. I'm trying to think who was, who was drumming. 
But, but I, no, okay, well, I can't. Unsurprising, I can't, unsurprising. I can't believe you I can't, can't remember. Re- I can't remember. Um, but that was the that was the band we we toured. We opened for Christaberg, mm. and we did quite a few festivals. We opened for Tina Turner, I think, at a, uh, at a, a festival in Munich. That was the biggest crowd. That might still be the biggest crowd I ever played to. Um, even though we were only opening up, they said there was ninety six thousand people. Good grief! Um, so that was a bit of a baptism of fire. Was that a festival? Did you say, or was that? It was a festival, and uh, that was down in Germany somewhere. And I think I think Tina was topping the bill. Um, and the lovely Phil Palmer was playing guitar for her. I think even even at that. Um, and Phil was playing with Trevor Horn last year, so it was lovely to hook back up with him. I keep bumping into him over the years. Mm. Uh, he's brilliant. Um, well, she would have been massive at that point as well, wouldn't she? She was... Yeah, that was... Um, what was the one? What's Love Got To yeah. Do With It, I think, was riding really high yeah. at that point. It was before Simply The Best. Yeah. In fact, Marillion did Top Of The Pops... Uh, did cover my eyes on top of the pops, the same top of the pops that Tina did simply the best. And uh, and the rest her, is history. <laughs> her single did rather better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> but she was bloody great. I, I, I stood in that little little studio leaning against the back wall and watched her watched her do her thing. I mean, she was only miming, but my God. She you know, you've either got it or you haven't and she's just and she's got, got it. it. Paid loads, yeah. <laughs> right, so albums recorded, some touring's gone on. You've done stuff, some stuff with Christaberg. Is it Christaberg? Which Christaberg? Oh God, no! What does he say? He's, well, Chris, Mister Deberg. When he goes to the bank, he calls himself Chris Davidson because that's his real name. He's not Deberg. He's got some bullshit story about being descended from the Deberg Knights and. It's all bollocks. Um, so uh, I think he, I don't know what he calls himself, <laughs> but um, we yeah he did he did three nights at Wembley Arena and uh, HRH Prince Andrew and Dame Sarah Ferguson yeah. uh, came to to one of those. Uh, I don't think they were there for our set. I think they shuffled in after we'd gone off. Um, and um, that one of those nights, weirdly, was attended by Ms. Lucy Jordan. Ah. And she saw How We Live right. open, open for Christaberg at, um, at Wembley Arena. And she, she says, you know, she thought, whoa, who's that singer? You know, yeah. really good, isn't he? Yeah. That, her words, not yeah. mine. Wow, and, that band uh, can play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these, yes. Aren't these good songs? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I really must run off to a firm of accountants and tell them what to do. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! I said, oh, did it? Did I come back to it? Again? Yeah. I won't be accruing for that," said Lucy. One <laughs> uh, <laughs> poor thing. She 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 has had to learn really uh, about law and account accounting. Uh, you know, as part of her, her work for us, she's she's been forced to wear a lot of hats. Mm. Bless her. Mm. Well, was Chris's band any good? 
Chris had a bunch of Canadian guys. Um, yeah, they were good. Mm. They were, they, they were, they, you know, they were all really good workmen-like mm. session players. Um, really nice people. Um, we all used to sort of pal about. Mm. Um, everyone palled about except Chris, mm. and he just sort of, you know, I don't know. He kept himself to himself. And then he would talk to you like he was the Queen. Right. He'd go, you know, he'd be very nice. He'd come, he'd come oh, oh, you're on the tour with us. Uh, I just thought I'd pop in and say hello, uh, you know, and, and what do you do? <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. You know, he used to talk to you like that, like, like, um, yeah, he was being nice, but at the same time, he's letting you know that yeah. you were, he was up there and you were down Just there. a little bit condescending. <laughs> Just but in a very nice way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was he any good? Chris. Can he sing? Uh, uh, and we'll leave that one there. Right, okay. Well, well Rainer had perfect pitch. And uh, I remember, I think that was in... Wembley Arena. I remember talking to her in the dressing room one night while Chris was on stage, so you could hear it sort of bleeding through the wall, but not that much, you know. And we were in the dressing room, and we were nattering about something, and every now and again she'd go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like she'd been prodded with a hot stick. I would say, what's up, Ryan? I said, oh, nothing, nothing. Uh, yeah, what is it? She said, well, can't you hear it? Apparently, you know, if he, he, he used to sing out a tune quite a bit and it used to physically hurt her. Uh, and I never noticed it so much. It probably have bothered me a lot more now. Well, look, let's, let's, stop, let's stop there because I think we, we, there's other bits we can come back to and there's still the transition from how we live into the Meridian thing and the milkman in between and what have you. So um, we can come back to that on a different day. And I'd like to ask a bit more about Colin, actually, and how he is and what he's doing and this, that and the other. But we'll leave that for a different day uh, because we have diary to go to. Um, yeah. And um, uh, you'd, you'd just finished. You were having an Easter break last time. And I think it's post Easter break, and I think you're going going back into back to Germany to do some more brave dates. I think is what we're going into. Right. Yes. So uh, should we uh, should we should we nip off for that? Yes. Well, let's take a walk in the Black Forest. Tuesday, 5th of April. Home, Neu-Eisenberg, Huguenottenhalle. Got up around eight with Niall and Sophie and coaxed them downstairs in an attempt to give Diz an extra half hour in bed. Put the wrong trousers on the video and showered before packing my suitcase. The car was due at 9.30 but arrived at nine, so I sent the driver to Brackley for a morning paper while we had breakfast. Left at 9.30 for the airport. The kids were watching Carry On Screaming when I left for Terminal 1. The cab ride was uneventful, all the best ones are, and I arrived at Heathrow on time and in good spirits, but with some trepidation at the thought of being away for so long. Said hello to Mark Kay, who had bought a new suitcase after his old one finally broke for good last week. 
had coffee in the terminal and chatted with Pete before boarding the flight to Frankfurt. Couldn't help sparing a moment to remember the victims of the plane crash at Schiphol yesterday. When the luggage appeared on the carousel at Frankfurt, Mark's new case arrived minus the handle and covered in scratches. Baggage handlers are always willing to rise to a challenge. Drove to the Hotel Imperial, which sounds posh, but wasn't, and shortly after left for the venue in Neu-Eisenberg. The crew seemed happy and in control of the situation. Everything was working okay, but no one had found the sweatshirt for Dizzy that I'd left backstage in Utrecht. Oh well, I'm bound to find something else for her. Sound checked and went to bed on the crew bus. The show went well once again. The break had helped me and I felt fresh with the Brave songs. I really enjoyed the main part of the show. The audience was the quietest and most attentive of the tour so far and it helped me to get under the skin of the songs, particularly Brave, which Priv later agreed was one of the best it's been. After the show, John Arneson told me that Peter Rieger had called from New York. He said he wants me to take the lead role in his production of Tommy here in Germany next year and that he will fly me to New York in June to have a look at the current Broadway production. Hmm. Drove back to the hotel in Frankfurt and went to bed. Wednesday, 6th of April. First, Hessen Stadthalle. Got up around 11 and went off in search of shampoo and a cup of coffee. Sat in a cafe for half an hour writing up this diary, bought shampoo and wandered back to the hotel via a peculiar mystic shop where I bought an ornate cast crucifix and a couple of postcards. Well, I wonder what happened with that. Checked out of the Imperial, where receptionist Celine let me off my minibar extras and drove down to Bavaria for a show in a town called Furth, near Nuremberg. The venue looked a bit like a polytechnic. The hall was hexagonal and modern-looking, a bit of a BBC vibe somehow. Sound checked and went to bed on the bus. Just before the show, a breakdown unit arrived to have a look at the band minibus, which, despite a new gearbox, seems not quite right. This proved to have repercussions. Nick B wasn't around for the start of the show, so my runaway flowers were forgotten, and even more disastrously, I went on stage without hair ties, which completely threw me for hard as love. The audience was a little cool, and only 700 people attended, our smallest crowd so far on this tour. We are in Bavaria, of course, where the band is not so popular. Mark K experienced more keyboard trouble during the encores. This time it was the S1000 going AWOL. I was determined not to let any of this get to me, a lesson learned after Hamburg, and by the end of the show I think we'd given our best under the circumstances. Nonetheless, this one was down there with Hamburg and Berlin. File under nights to forget. We got a bit lost on our way back to the hotel which was situated in nearby Nuremberg and ended up hiring a cab which we followed. Found Pete in the hotel corridor, naked except for a towel wrapped around him, trying to borrow a power adapter from Mark K. Tuesday, 7th of April, Ludwigsburg Forum. Woke up around 10.30 feeling absolutely dreadful. 
Everything was hurting from my toes to the top of my head. It's all muscular, combined with a liberal sprinkling of bruising and headache. Experience has taught me to expect this two shows after a break, so I knew it wasn't serious. Staggered out of bed and into the shower, which helped a little. Phoned home to see how my dearest are holding up. Sue says she's had a lie-in. Sophie has taken to getting up and going downstairs on her own to watch videos on TV. What a brave girl. Niall has finally discovered that sleeping at night can be a good thing. So, at long last, Dizzy is being given the chance to sleep normally. Bless her. Went out to the mall around the corner to get a birthday card for Hargreaves and managed to find a nice handmade one with a big heart on it. She'll like that. Returned to the Arvina Park Hotel and had a spot of breakfast with Ian and Steve R. The hotel staff were unusually helpful, supplying us with orange juice, coffee and rolls on the house, long after breakfast is normally finished. We thanked them by giving them a CD and signed pics. Nice people. Set off down the autobahn once again for Stuttgart and spent the journey writing this diary and reading the epic Wild Swans by Jung Chang. Checked into a hotel and grabbed 20 minutes on the solarium before returning to the lobby for the drive to Ludwigsburg. John Crawley from Charisma had flown in and came with us in the band bus. I remember the venue from a number of previous visits. Last time we were here I was having nerve problems with my jaw and a doctor injected Novocaine into it before the show. In future, I will associate this venue with the ultimate profiteroles, which Emma served for dessert. Soundcheck was uneventful. Like flights and cab rides, uneventful is good. Mark had been at the venue for most of the day, repairing a troublesome Leslie motor, but he seemed happy with the keyboards. Um, For your information, a Leslie is a spinning loudspeaker, which helps the distinctive sound of a Hammond organ. It was a pleasant evening, so I went out for a wander around Ludwigsburg, trying to find the hotel we stayed at last time, memorable for the most comfortable pillows I have ever experienced. But it was to elude me. Came back through the town and climbed aboard the crew bus for a pre-gig snooze. The show proved to be another keyboard hell evening, A programming oversight at the soundcheck had disabled the MIDI volume pedal, so Mark was struggling to get through the show without it. He did so valiantly, and despite some obvious problems during Runaway, nothing much was missing. For my own part, I was determined not to let another one slip, and worked hard at an initially cool audience. I particularly enjoyed this one. I was singing well, and beginning to feel fit again after a day of aches and pains. After the show, Jack had a bit of a black cloud over him and stayed out of the way. I chatted to John Crawley, who said he thoroughly enjoyed the set and couldn't see what all the fuss was about. I had earlier decided to go overnight with the crew, so I showered up and got on the bus. Managed to find a cheese and pickle roll with no one's name on it and watched a side-splitting Tommy Cooper video before retiring to my bunk. Friday 8th of April, Waldkirch, Stadthalle. Staggered into the bright light of the Black Forest in a place called Waldkirch, literally Forest Church, and a curious cocktail of conflicting images. 
The hall is situated in a suburb in a small residential street adjacent to a row of houses. People were staring out of their windows at the furious activity outside as crew hurried in and out of the building unloading the truck, well over 50 feet long, silver and magnified to huge proportions when compared to its immediate surroundings. Beyond a little street with its delicate gardens of edelweiss and light green spring foliage was the forest of tight pines and the mountains on the horizon. And down in the road, a black-haired, bleary-eyed figure falling out of a bronze-mirrored tour bus, loving everything he sets his eyes upon, although none of it goes together. He headed into the hall, across the stage and into catering, homing instinctively on the coffee urn. Everyone seemed in excellent spirits. A driver had been arranged to take me to the hotel in neighbouring Freiburg, but I was in no hurry to leave, hanging around chatting to truck driver Simon and Mike Hunter, who has become a permanent addition to our mad little family. He got drunk at Easter and dyed his hair blonde, so he's being pilloried by the crew, who address him as Jimmy Savile, General Custer or Bet Lynch, depending on how the light catches him. I could eventually drink no more coffee, so I left for the journey to Freiburg, enjoying the new greens of spring in the fields and the trees beneath the distant snow-peaked mountains. Checked into the hotel and went into town looking for a place to get my hair snipped. It's a pretty little town. We're close to France and Switzerland here and you can immediately feel the difference in atmosphere. Yay! By the time my hair was sorted, it was approaching three o'clock, so I bought a couple of things and returned to the hotel to discover that the rest of the band had arrived. Reported to Nick B, who had brought my suitcase up from Stuttgart. At 3.45, we all set off back to Waldkirch for soundcheck. I had tuna pie for dinner, which I later found out had not been made by our cook Emma, but by lighting designer Alan Parker. It wasn't bad either. Is there no end to this crew's talent? Smick gathered everyone together to present Priv with surprise air tickets to London tomorrow so that he can watch his beloved Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. He was overjoyed. Crew and band had each contributed to the plane fare. Soundcheck seemed fine, so I went to the bus and slept, returning backstage earlier than usual to shower before the show. As it turned out, I got talking and never got round to it. The audience were a little quiet to start with. I prefer it this way. It's good to know they're listening. But after the rapturous receptions in northern Germany and England, there's a comparative illusion of apathy, which probably isn't the case. Brave just isn't the kind of album that you can party to. From my point of view, there's a greater sense of achievement in working some enthusiasm into an audience than merely basking in euphoria from the beginning. Although, of course, it's a pretty good feeling to start off with a wild crowd. As is usually the case, the audience came to life for the encores. There's a point in the show, just before Made Again, where the art stops and the fun begins. This show is like two separate events, like a visit to the art gallery followed by a visit to the circus. And it involves me changing not only from one persona to another, 
but from one performer to another. I worry a little in case this comes across as insincere. But then I worry about that anyway. The desire to entertain always potentially conflicts with honesty, and I'm such a ham. Who does what ask? I suppose I should ask a few people. We encored with waiting to happen, hooks in you and the space, which for the fourth show in a row was pushing my luck, and I paid the price when the last couple of lines of the space cracked and squeaked. Shame. After the show, I showered and signed a few things outside before getting on the crew bus again. I'd decided to go overnight to Munich. Wished Jack, who was also going overnight, a happy birthday and watched him playing poker with Cod, the merchandising man, gambling chocolate bars instead of chips, before retiring to the precious curtained cubbyhole, which has become my second home. And we're back. Uh, and I have questions with regard to that diary section because unlike previous weeks where we've tried to wing it or whether I've tried to wing it, I've actually read it this week. Uh, I read it while I was making a, 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 pre, a pre-recording brew. Uh, and my, my first question, and yeah. this, the, there's a few people that listen to this that also listen to the 942, the Guitar Show podcast. And one of the things that we do on the Guitar Show podcast is we've got into a thing of asking people about the favourite carry-on film. Now, why that's relevant is because in the first part of the diary reading, you say that the kids were watching Carry On Screaming. <laughs> and why that's interesting is because I think Carry On Screaming might be the best of the Carry On films. Fenella Fielding. Oh, socket. Socket. She keeps saying, doesn't she? The <laughs> butler's called Socket. She's got those amazing red lips, isn't she? Uh, She was great. She was just a a woman who never stopped smouldering. Oh, she she knew how to smoulder. Maybe she just smouldered as soon as they, you know, they'd go uh, lights, camera, action, and she'd just smoulder until they switched them off again. (laughs) And she ceased smouldering. (laughs) Ceased smouldering, lit up a fag, put a flat hat on and... <laughs> and a duffel coat and oh. a pair of slippers and shuffled off. Um, so, so come on then. What's your favourite carry on? This is, by the way, this isn't going to translate to a global audience. No, no. A I'm, bit I'm, unique with, for a without thinking too hard, um, carry on. Don't lose your head was my favourite ah, about the French Revolution. French Revolution. I, I remember going to Doncaster Gaumont with John Liedale when I was a kid. John Liedale was my mate from next door but four. And uh, we went... <laughs> next door but four. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, went, we went to the Gaumont, which the Beatles played. And, we, you know, my grand queued for tickets and couldn't get any and... Oh my God! So the Gaumont is uh, is synonymous in my memory with the the the, the gig I never saw. But we went to the Gaumont and saw uh, Carry On, Don't Lose Your Head. And I was young, and I remember thinking it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life, and it nearly wet myself laughing at it. And it's probably you know probably not that funny when you when you're my age. But when I was a kid, Carry On, Don't Lose Your Head was the thing. Um, so that one, mm, carry yeah. on. Right, that's interesting. I I I like that one as well. Uh, I like that one. I like screaming. I like cowboy. 
Uh, and and Cleo, you can't not like Cleo. Um, yeah, when they, when when they roll when he rolls her out of that rug, right that's a great moment. Um, <laughs> well, carry on camping. I see, in fact, me and Mike Hunter only <laughs> only only last Friday were uh, were quoting from Carry On. All all asses must be shown. Yes, and he says he's gone for a pee. <laughs> Uh, rubbish, you know, utter rubbish, but very, very, very amusing. Well, the, it's funny because it came up last night. I was watching a program. Uh, Mark Commode was doing a program on British comedy last night, and they were talking about the evening comedies and a few things. And it came up on there, and Cleo came up. And the reason why Cleo looks so amazing is because originally, and um, Cleopatra or Anthony and Cleopatra, or whatever the the Richard Burton Elizabeth Taylor thing was called, was supposed to be shot in England. So they built a load of sets, uh, and yes. then they and then they decided not to shoot in England. And the Carry On team basically nicked or got hold of all of these things that have been prepared for that movie, which is why when you look at it, it doesn't look quite as cardboard as all the rest. Right. No, I've heard that really story before. Was he called Billy Wilder, the director of... Uh, no, I, Billy Wilder did things like The Apartment and Some Like It Hot. Oh, it wasn't him then. But the, whoever it was who did um, did, did the Burton Taylor one, I know that, that he shot it. Pinewood had all the sets built, yeah. shot, shot it, looked at the rushes and said, the light's not right. The light's not right. doesn't look like Rome. <laughs> and uh, and so they all went to Rome and uh, did it all again. It cost an absolute fortune. I think it lost a fortune, that movie, in the end. Yeah, it, it cost a ridiculous amount, didn't it? Yeah. I, I'm just checking now, in case, because now you've started saying that, I'm now wondering whether actually you are right and it was Billy Wilder. Oh, I think of him about something like and <laughs> in the apartment, and he did things like Double Indemnity, which is an amazing film. Um, you see, you're off and running now. I don't know a damn thing about films, no, no. But, but it just came into my head. But I, I did hear on the radio once some story about that about that movie about Burton and Taylor and how much she was paid. I mean, she was paid some insane amount of money oh, yeah. to do that film as well, and it never made money. And it, you know, I'm fascinated by movies that get out of hand. You know, like Apocalypse Now, when things mm. just keep going wrong and it keeps getting dearer and dearer and dearer, you know, and you get to that stage where you can't pull the plug because you've spent so much money, mm. you can't waste it, you've got to keep going, even if it ends up costing ten times as much. And I'm always fascinated by those dilemmas. Yeah, um, that was, he made one, didn't he? Kevin Costner, that Waterworld thing that cost a ridiculous amount of money and lost literally most of it. Yeah, Um, wasn't that the one where they they had to paint his hair in one frame at a time because he'd (laughs) gone bald and he didn't want to appear bald? So they had to paint his hair in one frame at a time. I think that cost a zillion quid just in in time and tech. They, they could probably do it with a plug-in now in 10 seconds, but back then it all had to be done. I could have dreamt that. It was directed by, and I can't, pron- I can't pronounce the guy's name, Joseph uh, Mankiewicz or whatever, but it's the, he's the same, he's the guy that did something with Citizen Kane. I'm sure he is. I think they've just made a programme about him called Mank that um, Gary Oldman starred in. 
If it's the same one, I might be totally wrong. So just ignore me. It you might see be that what nonsense. he's the guy that did the Anthony and Cleopatra. He, yeah, he did. Well, clear. It was called Cleopatra, and, right. and he and he did that. Um, yeah, so, I heard that story about him saying the light's not right. You know, let's, all, let's all go to Rome. We have to go to Rome, and they they built those sets in Rome. Can you imagine what that cost? Yeah. Anyway, don't know how we, oh, no, I do know how we got there. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Cleo got us there, didn't it? They probably had to take all the extras. They probably all on buses <laughs> driving from, driving from London on a bus. <laughs> Four thousand people. Don't forget, yeah, your, don't forget your toga. They've had to put an extra an extra route on. <laughs> I can see all these route masters heading down from. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Um, the other thing I was going to uh, ask you, um, mm. Southern Germany. There's a there's a you you've you, it's almost there's a section of that diary that's almost prose like, and you you do this little this little entrance. I'm trying to think what day it was. Uh, it was it was a Friday, Friday the eighth of April, and and there's this beautiful bit of prose about about this place in southern Germany. You, you seem quite taken by southern Germany. I think it was just that particular morning that the that I got you know I rolled out of the bus uh, expecting to see some ugly industrial uh, built up horror landscape which is where what you usually see when you roll out of the bus uh only only to find we were in the you know at the edge of the black forest with the pines and the mountains on the horizon and the i think it was just a particularly beautiful morning you know the light was lovely and uh, and i was off hmm. i was off waxing lyrical hmm. you, you did wax <laughs> You did, you did wax, um, but it was just no. It's it, I, do you know what? Maybe you've done it in the diary at different points in time. And I picked up on it. I just there was just this sort of couple of paragraphs, and I thought, all oh, right, okay. I was obviously just gone, lo- gone a lo- bit literary there. Loved up, right. loved up my life in general. You know, right. on that particular morning, it yeah. does happen from time to time. I get get unexpectedly loved up. Hmm. Germany's a place I've I've come to really like over the years. I must admit. Yeah, yeah, there's some some beautiful spots. Love the people, love mm. the people. Oh, the people are great. People are great, and some of the wines great as well, actually. But mm. uh, without one to moving it back onto alcohol, so Al- Alsace, uh, yeah, always worth doing. Uh, anyway, I think we probably ought to call it a day there, really, for 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 thirty mm. uh, for thirty nine. Because um, uh, you know we've been going on for quite a while, um, and we've got a we've got a. An odds and sodcast to do as well, so uh, we need to be, Ooh. you know, prolific this morning. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. Well, well, then, 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 let us wend our merry way in in keen anticipation of TCD forty next week. Are we going well, to do something a bit special for TCD forty? Uh, well, we could always, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we could do it, do it at night and open a bottle and talk, talk. You know, yeah. even higher degrees of rubbish than we do when we're sober. Yeah, we, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that for forty. Do, let's get a big giggly again. Do another one of those aimless yeah. ones. Yeah, let's do one of them. 
Don't expect a lot of content next week. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying that. Like, there's a lot of content in any of the previous <laughs> <Yeah>. ones. <laughs> yeah. I think I think they've managed their expectations by now, don't you, Anthony? I, 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 I think, do you know what's really been really good for TCD has been the fact that Boris has literally made life so shit as we've gone along and shut everything down and mm. closed everything off. He's really helped us. Yes, we're, we've, we've appeared by comparison to be a, a beam. Of, he set uh, us a very low bar, hasn't he? Sh- shining light and, and entertainment. Dare I say optimism. Even my predictions of future pandemics <laughs> have seemed somehow pleasant. Well, I must mention because um, Jenny Looker put a little note on, on the um, the chat in Patreon that she was she was finding last week's a bit too depressing, and she loved us, but she might have to come back and have another crack at that one. Uh, <laughs> I saw Jenny's that. somebody I've known for years, so I, I dropped her a message and said, "Sorry, it was a bit depressing." <laughs> Bless her, but um, I'm sure she I'm sure she'll be back with the nonsense this week. Yes, yeah, yes. Have a drink, Jenny. Don't worry about it. Gin. Well, she likes a gin, gin, or she used to like a gin. So. Yes, put yes, yourself a gin. It works for me. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll uh, I'll see you in a couple of minutes for odds and sods. But as far as the podcast can concerned, I'll see you next week. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, hope you're well. And uh, and uh, mind how you go. And if you're driving home tonight, what are you doing out? First of all, I should point out that Freddie Bilkvist took the photograph on the birthday cards. Thanks, Freddie. Also, I'd like to do a quick shout out again for Daniel Beebe, who I pronounced wrong last week. And thank you, Carl Linden, Jay Cottis, who calls himself Exodore. Herself could be a girl, didn't say thank you for being purple. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.